Broadcasting live from our satellite studios in New York City, New York, it's time for the special on-the-road edition of Learning Insights, featuring learning professionals who are improving performance and driving business results. Welcome to another exciting and informative edition of Learning Insights. I'm your host, Stone Payton. We also have Holly Payton with us. Malou, how are you? Pretty good. So we're going to have fun today, and we have in this segment Ms. Sheila Basile, Senior Vice President, and Vicki Foley, Senior Vice President, Global, De- Global Leadership Development Practice Leader. Man, that is a mouthful. Uh, both of these ladies with Lee Hecht Harrison, and we're going to talk a little bit about trends and executive coaching. Welcome to you both. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, we are delighted to have you, uh, and maybe... It would be helpful, I know it would be for me, but maybe for our listeners as well. Can you just give us an operational definition for executive coaching? Because I have a sense that maybe it means a lot of different things to other people. Uh, I'll start with you, Sheila. How, How would you just succinctly describe executive coaching? Well, we view executive coaching as a development opportunity for people at different levels. We believe that uh, coaching is valuable for all leaders and uh, can be used in assimilation into a new role, can be used developmentally for high potentials who are on a track to succeed leaders in higher level positions, and can also be used uh, remedially uh, to impact performance and develop skills and and close gaps and blind spots. She's answered that question before, hasn't she? I think she has. (laughs) Wow, that was fantastic. I have wondered if you ever have people, do do you get people assigned to you? Hey, this person really needs some coaching or do people come to you willingly? Hey, can Can you you fix Bob? (laughs) Do you ever ever get that memo? Hi, I need you to fix Bob. (laughs) Yeah, we get some of those. Um, uh, But most of the time we, you know, we work with large organizations that have, you know, talent management strategies that are in place. They're, they're acting on them and they know the value of coaching. And so very often we'll get opportunities that are brought to us um, that are, you know, hey, this is our next round of high potential leaders. And, you know, they all have unique development areas um, that have been identified through some type of process. Uh, and the coaching is really to lock in that, that development, lock in the new behaviors, um, sustain learning, and really ultimately contribute to the business success. So that's really where I think coaching has changed over the last 10 years is, you know, that it, it's a development tool. Um, and it's proven to be effective um, and leaders uh, organizations are investing in their in their leaders um, through coaching and other ways of development but coaching primarily is is one of the things that obviously we're experts in that is really wonderful to hear that businesses are recognizing the value I'm wondering what all you know when you think of coaching you think of a conversation Mm -hmm. executive coaching you think of a conversation but i know there has to be so much more to it what all would and be entailed in executive coaching beyond simply a conversation we actually have a coaching model that we follow globally we have 300 offices uh around the world and a bench of 600 plus coaches and we developed our coaching model and our practices internally and trained all of these coaches uh, so that we all speak the same language follow the same model 
and um, the conversation is consistent and of high quality no matter where it's taking place. Now within that model, there are six coaching practices that guide our conversations. And I'm going to ask Vicki to talk a little bit about the model and the practices. Sure. I'm happy to do that, Sheila. And so as Sheila said, it's a consistent process. But one, one thing I want to um, make sure that we understand is that, that everybody's unique. And so there's flexibility within that structure. Right. So I think the structure allows the success to happen. But each coach is meeting that leader where they are to their unique needs tied to the business result. Um, so it's four phases, right? So we, what, what do we want to achieve? What's the success? What are our outcomes? Um, and then that's verified through different ways of uh, gathering information, whether it's an assessment or meetings with stakeholders to verify, hey, you know what, we're working on the right things. And then um, really a lot of the coaching takes place after that. We call it action or strategy. And that's what you said, Holly, it's that one-on-one -on -one conversation. It's giving tough feedback, maybe that nobody's ever given them before. It's letting them try new behaviors in a safe environment. Um, it's getting their action plan ready so that they know exactly how they're going to learn these new competencies or behaviors. Um, and, you know, be there when they have these setbacks because, you know, it's new and they're trying it out. And then finally, that measuring results would be the last phase because for us as an organization and the way we practice coaching, we want to be able to measure the outcomes. We want to be able to say to the leader, to the organization, this is what was achieved. We met the goals or, or sometimes maybe we didn't, but there needs to be an additional support mechanism or something. Um, and then the practices issue, I mentioned all of our coaches are certified in Ask, Don't Tell reframe the picture, in the moment feedback, truth talk, exploring possibilities and creating partnerships. So some way, Holly, in those conversations, those techniques are being used um, to, to have the coaching be impa impactful. You, you mentioned measurement, and I, I know that everyone listening is going to want me to ask a question about that. Okay. Um, because I'm sure you know that companies struggle with with how do I measure these kinds of things. So can you speak a little bit about what, how do you measure it? Where does it start? How do you put it in place? Sure, absolutely. Um, that's very important to us too, um, because clients do ask, you know, so how are we going to measure the coaching? And it's been, you know, this is a big question. It's been out there for a long time. Uh, for us as an organization, we measure in three ways, typically. Um, people, productivity, and profitability. So those are the things that we look for. So when, when I mentioned that first phase of the coaching model, outcomes, that's what we want to do. We want to figure out what are those desired outcomes. Is it retaining this employee? Is it retaining the team underneath this employee that's in turmoil? Um, is it um, advancing this leader to the next level, being ready sooner than they would have been without the coaching? So around the, pe the people. Then productivity, it could be a more engaged workforce, um, the project coming in faster on deadline, products launching faster. And then finally, under profitability, of course, we all know, which is the name of the game, right? So increased sales or better contribution to the bottom line as a result of doing something differently, better, um, or more of something. So that's how we do it. And we contract up front and we measure that on the back end, uh, either through reassessment or, and of course, gathering specific anecdotal information or observations from people very close to that leader. Um, who might be involved in the coaching. That is really fabulous. Um, you mentioned, um, Sheila, that you had 300 offices. So I am, am really eager to hear what kind of differences do you see working in such diverse, uh, such 
you know, different cultures, different environments. What do you see from a coaching perspective? What might some of those differences be? Well, I think Vicki can answer that question better because she is the global talent development leader for the company, whereas I am more focused on the New York City metro oh, area. Okay. So she has more breadth. And, and so would you take that, Vicki? Although, although as Stone and I were walking last night, we did see quite a diverse culture here in New York City. <laughs> That's true. That's a given. <laughs> so Sheila can provide the New York right. City perspective, which I'm sure is a mix of everything, and I'll provide the global perspective. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of things in common, believe it or not, and then there's, of course, a lot of things that are uh, diverse. You know, I think, you know, starting with the things that we're seeing across the board um, is this, you know, volatility, this fast pace, this transformation world that um, businesses are in right now. Um, and I see that around the world, no matter what country we're in um, and so with that the coaching really becomes around change and fast pace of change and being agile um, and you know just really understanding the pressures of how things are coming at you so quickly to anticipate to react um, and leaders need to be doing that really on a daily basis right so that that whole ambiguity of the world so we see that as a common denominator and then underneath that of course you're going to have these local nuances so um, for example in Brazil, what we see a lot of in terms of development of leaders, of course, there's the coaching, but there are also these larger integrated leadership development mm -hmm. programs that are really tied and intersecting between like succession planning and and broader development programs. So I think you know Brazil has done a lot of work in that area. Um, when I flip over to the other side of the world and we see things happening in Japan. Um, so I would call Brazil like a mature market. I would call uh, Japan in terms of coaching, you know, kind of this rising on the maturity curve. Mm -hmm. um, if there are global organizations that are doing business in Japan, they might be more open to coaching. Uh, and what we're finding is there's this movement of local Japanese companies that are doing business globally, like from the inside out, mm -hmm. um, being receptive to coaching when their leaders have to go <clears throat> outside of Japan. And so that's where we're seeing the needle move there. It's still that education process for, for Japan and similar, um, you know, would be, you know, China. I'd say Singapore is a bit more on the, on the mature, maturity um, edge. Europe is a very mature coaching market. There's a lot of coaching huh. in Europe. Uh, coaching really was, um, it started more in Europe than it did in, in the U.S., believe it or not. So, you know, coaching was there before the U.S. Uh, so we continue to see that being a very mature market for coaching, not a lot of education needed, a lot of assessment work going on right now in Europe, so bigger assessment projects uh, and leadership development programs. In North America, what we're seeing is this shift um, uh, toward a lot of virtual coaching requests. So, you know, our model really is this face-to-face, -face, you know, coupled with virtual, but there's been requests, you know, to m this movement of virtual uh, coaching. Um, and then, of course, we're seeing um, this multi-generational and multicultural being driven a lot from the U.S. You know, how do I work with this younger workforce? These people are in their 20s that need development. How do I share knowledge? Uh, and some mentoring is starting to pop up again in, in North America. So, so do, you mentioned, yes, very much so. You mentioned a few, actually, you, you listed several, and I only was able to capture a couple on paper, several best practices on the coaching side. You start out with ask, don't tell, and you mentioned mm -hmm. several others. Are there some best practices or some insights for the, I don't even know if this is a word, coachee, that would make someone more coachable? Yeah, are there some things that we should do, the people being coached? Mm -hmm. If either of you could speak to that, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, I, I would like to say that, um, give you a break for a minute. <laughs> 
um, I would like to say that one of the hallmarks of a successful coaching um, case is that the stakeholders are involved and the chief stakeholder is the coachee's boss. And yes, coachee is a word. Oh, cool. Score one for stone. <laughs> you cannot coach someone in a vacuum. You need the feedback, you need the observation to see if they're trying out new behaviors, if the coaching is sticking, and um, that would be on the stakeholder side. So that's a very important piece. And the other piece is that you need a coachee who is willing to engage and who mm. believes in the coaching. Because if they have not bought into it, you may raise their awareness through feedback, through assessments on what some of their gaps are and their development needs. But if they don't own that and take accountability for it, you can coach them until the cows come home and nothing will stick. So those are two things from my perspective. Yeah, that's great, Sheila, and and very, very true. And we've all run into those um, situations where, you know, we, we do have coaches come back to us and say, I can't coach, not coachable, because they're not ready. They're not willing. So that coaching readiness, I think, was really important, Stone, that you brought that up. Um, one thing I would add to that is, you know, sometimes we coach them on, on what to ask. So when they're selecting their coach, mm. you know, what's important to you? Um, you know, ask the coach these particular questions about their background, mm. about their success in coaching people of, with similar development areas um, so that they can make the right selection. Because having the right coach and being able to develop that trusting relationship so that the coaching can happen is super critical to success. So when they're ready, the next real critical point is who's the right coach for me. Are there specific um, organizations that you work with? Uh, I'm wondering if there are specific industries. You've got such a breadth of experience. I'm wondering these industries really are recognizing the value of, of, of coaching, um, might be more further on the maturity <laughs> end, uh, as you described earlier. Well, we do work across all, in, all industries, mm -hmm. so I will say that. Um, you know. Um, I think there are some that might be more mature. I mean, obviously, we're in New York City. There's a lot of financial services here. We do a lot of work in financial services and pharmaceutical and consumer products. Um, but you know what? It, it really crosses all boundaries. You know, so if I look at our client list, you know, we're in just about every industry. I think instead of industry, the way I might slice the market is, you know, this large cap versus mid cap versus startup, you know, real small. Um, because it's an investment. They need the dollars. So when you're looking at real fast uh, growing, high growth, you know, entrepreneurs, they're not probably going to invest in the coaching. They're they're just thinking somewhere else. So when you get into that mid mid size, large uh, cap companies, that's where we do a lot of lot of our business. Um, I'm fascinated uh, to find out just a little bit of your backstory. How did you get started? You start with you, Sheila. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> um, Started with Lee Hack Harrison? Or started down the, the road of being a learning professional? Vicki found her on Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. Um, I joined Lee Hack Harrison about 30 years ago, and we had two offices, one in Stanford, Connecticut, and one here in New York City in the MetLife building. And we started as an executive coaching practice with Bob Lee and Bob Hecht. And we were working with leaders who were about to derail or who had significant development needs. And outplacement became a major focus because when the leaders mm. would derail, 
we would coach them into new <coughs> positions. So that's how our model started. Um, over the years, um, we have grown. ADECO is our parent company, and they acquired us and contributed substantially to our growth. And I got started because I did a master's in um, industrial psychology here in the city at Columbia and was able to cross the four practice areas that we work in and have developed over the years. So started out in the executive coaching career transition, transitioned into the leadership development, into the change management, and into the engagement retention and the Conexa opinion surveys and so forth. So because of the background, have been able to wear many different hats as the company grew and develop along with the growth opportunities. So Vicki, you want to talk about how you got here? Sure. Um, that, that's a great story, Sheila. I don't know if I ever knew that. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. So I, I've been here for a number of years as well. So I think for me, I'll, I'll say what's relevant in terms of how I got into executive coaching, because I've done other things for the, the business as well. Um, but for me, it really goes back to business. You know, so my undergrad is in business, and I have this love of business, and I've worked with business leaders, and I wanted to get back into that. And so I saw the, the route to do that was to become a certified executive coach. And so I started selling coaching at LHH years ago, and then delivered it so I could get that going. Um, and then, of course, the practice grew, and, and I've, I'm now the global practice leader, which is amazing for me to be able to do that. It's such a, a great company that's really committed to the coaching. But for me, that's what it was. And that really aligns to Lehigh Terrison's coaching model, which is that business alignment. So I'm very happy that and I get to talk with great leaders around the world. And I just love it. You must work with some really bright, passionate people almost almost every day. It's got to be incredibly rewarding work, both of you. It really is. It really is. And we do. I mean, we have very, very sophisticated partners. Um, and it's just, a, a, it's really a privilege to work with them because I, I learn from them, they learn from us. And that's why, you know, we do call it partnerships. And as partnerships, these are partners who are genuinely invested in people. Right? Yes, absolutely. So, how does it, what are some of the signs an organization might uh, might see that said that suggest to them, hey, we got to reach out to Lee Hecht Harrison and talk to them about executive coaching? Are there a few things that happen in their development of a couple of signs they ought to be looking for? How do they know? That's a really great question. I'd love that to hear. That was a fantastic question. That was a great question. It took me a minute to get it out, <laughs> but I think when we landed on it, it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would say one clear signal is when your top talent is exiting the organization, um, and you, you know, so what are you doing to keep them and develop them and make sure they're ready? Another one is when they have open positions at different levels in the organization and they don't have cl clear successor identified or a pool of candidates that are really ready to take on some very complex senior leader roles yeah. um, that they need to be thinking about giving Lee Harrison and in particular Sheila Basile a call. <laughs> well, thank you. The Sheila bat phone. <laughs> I think also companies that are growing at an exponential mm -hmm. rate and sometimes employees get promoted before they've developed the leadership capabilities to take on the additional responsibilities. So anytime, if you're a company that has uh, experienced a lot of growth, whether it's through acquisition or organically, you might want to think about developing your leaders. And I think another part that you might consider if you're already coaching if you've not centralized your coaching and if anyone who is a leader and has a budget can go out and hire a coach, 
you might want to take a look at how they're selecting coaches, the quality of the coaches, what their credentials are, so that if you are providing it, you're providing it consistently and effectively across the different levels. So, Could, could you tell us more about the startup companies? What type of startup companies are asking for executive coaching right now? So uh, I can respond to that. Um, technology companies uh, are typical. Um, we're working with a lot of fast growth technology organizations around the world, primarily out in you know in Northern California. Um, and it it may not be that they're asking for executive coaching. Um, it's really falling into a category that I would call executive team alignment. You know, so how do I get my executive team engaged on the same page? You know. Um, living and breathing this and executing on the same strategic plan because that's where we find there's a there's a lot of um, misalignment happening um, in in small startup companies fast growth companies technology and in particular technology Um, so we are doing work at the executive team alignment I would say there more than one-on-one individual coaching you've you've talked and that was a that's an eye-opener for me you've talked about coaching in terms of one-on-one do you do team coaching yes. as as well absolutely yes um, and as I said at the executive team level or teams huh. that might be coming together to uh, do a very critical project that might not be um, performing where they need to be performing in terms of their productivity in terms of relations um, so uh, yes we do a lot of coaching at the team level I'm wondering you've got such a wealth of experience um, you could probably speak better than most how have you seen this learning and development leadership coaching arena change over the years? One major change that I've seen in the last 10 years, because having worked so long at LEHACT, I actually have clients that I've worked with for 15 plus years. And I've watched coaching grow internally in these clients. And the major trend I've seen in terms of change is that It has started out as a remedial or as a negative intervention. So go fix Bob, as you mentioned earlier. (laughs) So that it became almost like a scarlet letter if you had a coach Uh. and you didn't want people around you to know. And that's why, you know, I mentioned you can't coach in a vacuum and so forth. So one major change has been that now it is, I've seen it become so much more positive. And it's almost like you are really hot stuff if you've got a coach. Look, right. look at it's my like Rolex and let me introduce my, my coach. coach. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you're not really serious about your profession <laughs> if you don't have a coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, That's fabulous. Right. And I can comment on that from the enterprise coaching level. What we're seeing is, I think Sheila mentioned before, this uh, really understanding who's getting a coach and, and what the spend is. So big change for me as I've um, taken on the, the leadership role of the practice is the number of organizations that are trying to get their arms around that. Um, they're perhaps choosing one global provider. They want to know what the return is. They want to know what uh, who's getting a coach and how long and the coach isn't there forever, that there's an end date. Um, and so this movement of, of organizations to really um, determine 
you know, this who's going to be our coaching provider, one or two uh, providers around the world, because they want the consistency. They want to be able to measure. They want to be able to use the coaching as a development tool, but they need to they need to be able to play back to their executive teams. You know, what are we getting for it? Right. So we're definitely seeing that. And one more thing I'll mention, too, mm. is that the barriers to entry to coaching, I think we all know professional coaching and we're talking about business coaching, not the personal coaching. Um, There really are none, right? You can just say, hey, I'm a coach, right? Um, But now what we're finding, as I mentioned, sophisticated buyers, they want credentialing. They want certification, either ICF or WABC. um, And and this credentialing and experience is very, very important now to to the the clients who are purchasing coaching and using coaching. What might be, uh, I know we touched on it briefly, but I'm going to circle back to measurement because um, I, I think that's so difficult for most people. What might be some things that would be, uh, if someone was trying to think of how am I going to measure this, what would be some things for them to look at? You have mentioned a couple, um, promotion faster, or could you name some of those types of measures that might be good for somebody starting out to think about what might be some of the measures we could put in place? Sure. Um, I think when we talk about measurement, and we want to be able to track it. It has to be either observable or you know, so that, that quantifier, um, so we can measure it in terms of numerics, or that qualifier, right? So if it's a qualifier, it needs to be observed, okay? So, and you have to start making linkages, right? So if it's that, that you know, that Bob needs to, um, you know, we know the team is, is, is not happy, he's not communicating, you know, they're, they're falling short on deadlines. So then we can say, okay, there's a couple things. We want feedback from the team, that Bob is communicating, that he's delegating, that he's giving his team feedback. And then if that's all happening, we're getting that feedback, then we should see the productivity increase and the deadlines start to be met. So we're going to link those things. So, so we want to start with what is the behavior, the competency, and how does that connect the dots to the business? Um, so we always want to start with what is the development for the person, but, but making that connection is really critical to the, so that business or the team. So very often it's sitting down with the manager and stakeholder saying, well, what would that mean to the business? Right. So if Bob was able to do this better, differently, more, less, then, then how will that impact the, the department and the business on a more positive scale? And then get granted on that. So, so the people, productivity, profitability, it's really what falls under that. You know, right? No, that was perfect. That was that was a great. That was the right answer. Well, thank you, Holly. Sheila might have more. I'm just thinking that if people were starting out to know that that's the type of questions to ask, what would it mean if we could fix this? If we could fix Bob, what would that really mean to the business, to the department, to the people that report to him, and so on? And that's a great avenue for someone to pursue who might not be anywhere near as experienced as you guys are. I um, also am thinking that we do a lot of coaching around helping leaders develop their direct reports and there's a tremendous savings in promoting someone internally versus going outside to hire as there is a tremendous savings when you lower turnover. But the flip side is also beneficial. And I think the other um, key trend that we're seeing today in terms of coaching that's a little different from previous is that we are certifying entire global HR teams in our ICF accredited Uh, coaching model and practices so that they can better partner 
with their peers who are running the business by using the coaching skills. So that's another way to measure that I bring up that is also a trend. So That is fabulous because I know HR um, in many companies struggle to be seen as a player, to, be, to get a seat at that executive table and to have that type of accreditation would, would really help their internal, um, internal value to the business. Right. So a, a quick example is HR leaders are often uh, rewarded for having the answer to HR issues or for solving the problem. And by using the coaching model and skills, they're able to sit down at the table and partner and ask the questions around what are the real business issues that we need to be addressing and how does talent development and HR play into that. So Exactly. So before we wrap, I wonder if you guys would be willing to shift gears a little bit. I'd love to hear a little bit about the Lee Hecht Harrison culture, because I get the sense you guys are pretty good about eating your own cooking. You're <laughs> developing your own people. Uh, and, and you've both uh, been there as young and beautiful as you are. You've been there a while. Uh, and maybe you could speak to the, to the culture and how, uh, yeah. I'm happy to do that. Um, yes, we have a... Um, we have a culture. That's and, and <laughs> check. We, we check. certainly check. do. Um, okay. You know, and I think that it speaks to the, the longevity of people at Lee Hecht Harrison. You know, Steele's been here thirty years. That blew me away. I know. When, when you guys told me that. I know. I and I didn't mention that I'm co- I'm coming up on my twentieth year wow. anniversary. Um, and and you know it's and it's crazy because um, we are we have a very. Um, it's a friendly culture. It's highly collaborative. Um, you know, some you know, uh, in the leadership team, very collaborative, um, and you know, it's a really great place to work. I mean, we value. We have certain core values um, that are really important in Lehect, and I think it's demonstrated. You know, so the you know, uh, team spirit. You know, and working together as a team, being collaborative, um, and you know, certainly one thing that I'm, but I feel every day is that customer centricity, like really being customer focused. And I think just about everybody in, in Lee Hecht Harrison is either, either client facing or working one-on-one um, with the individuals. And we have a story that goes with it. And maybe Sheila can share the story about making a difference, but you know, um, that, that's really important. It, just in terms of eating our own cooking, as you say, I like that term. I don't think <laughs> I've ever used that. You can use it royalty free. <laughs> um, we do, we have a high potential development program that uh, internally we have a mentoring program. So um, development is very important to us because we, we know that it works and we know we want to keep our, t- our key talent at Lehigh Terrison. But Sheila, do you want to talk about the starfish or the w- making a difference? <laughs> <laughs> it's really a big part of our culture. We didn't invent the starfish story, but we certainly live by it. When we were two offices, uh, we hired a third partner and his name was Steve Harrison. And Steve Harrison... Um, Lee Hecht Harrison, um, pioneered the acquisition of Lee Hecht with ADECO and became our business partner. But as he did that, he realized that when we touch people, regardless of what practice area, that we are making a huge difference in their lives at a professional level as well as a personal level. Because if we make them happier at work, they're happier at home. And so he took the starfish story that I'm sure you can find on the internet where the young man is storing the starfish in the sea and a philosopher comes up to him and says what are you doing and he said well if I don't throw them back before the tide goes out they'll all die 
And he said, well, you can't possibly pick up all the starfish. There are thousands of them. He said, yep, but I made a difference to that one. Mm -hmm. So at every meeting, Steve Harrison still comes back at our global conference and plays that starfish story and talks about how we make a difference. And we have actual customers who come and contribute and uh, case studies. So we live and breathe that. And I think that has had a huge impact on how our culture has developed and that we all identify with the people we serve. So great story. Well, it's clearly had an impact on you guys, and now it's had an impact on us. What an absolute delight to visit with you this afternoon. we got to do this again sometime. We'd love to. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, this is fun. This it is was fun. Holly, I enjoyed that. You've, uh, you've probably got a whole other list of questions. You I can ask do, next time around, so right? I hope you will come back because i got all kinds of questions <laughs> I didn't get to. Absolutely, Holly. In the meantime, if our listeners want to reach out, learn more about Lee Hecht Harrison, have a conversation with you guys or somebody on your, on your team, can we provide them with some coordinates? a website, a phone number, something like that? Yeah, yeah. Where, where can they reach out? Um, www.lhh.com, um, and there's an 800 number there, and you can even put in a comment, you know, to talk to Vicki or to Sheila, um, and that goes, we'll get that within 24 hours, so definitely go to our website, lhh.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you again, Malou. Thank you for putting this thing together. Very nicely Wonderful. done. You, well, you, you told us to expect a, far, a fabulous conversation, and that's exactly... I, I knew there were the pros. <laughs> thank <laughs> you. All right. Until next time, this is Stone Payton for Holly Payton, our guest this afternoon from Lee Hecht Harrison, and everyone here at the Business Radio X family. Special thanks to our friends at Training Pros. We'll see you next time on Learning Insights. Thank you. This has been a special Business Radio X production brought to you by Training Pros, your source for local learning and development experts. Learn more at training-pros.com.